Welcome to Peace of Authenticity for the Remnant. We are so excited that you chose to spend your time with us today. A Remnant is a peace that remains. This is a podcast for the Remnant rising in this hour. The Remnant is a group of people who seek Jesus like it's their last hope because he is. In this podcast, we encourage, equip, and champion you to rise up and take a stand for Christ in the world that we live in. Everybody. What's going on? We are so excited to have our friend Shanda here again. Um, there, you know, there's only been one other friend that we have that we've brought on again. But seriously, our last podcast with you, Shanda, was just amazing. Like yeah. just the wisdom and everything that you've learned. It was it was really refreshing and really nice to hear that, you know. Um, so a little bit about Shanda before before we go in. Um, she is she has a podcast called Her faith inspires podcast. I listen to it every single week. It is so good guys. Um, she is a teacher in apologetics. And so we'll go a little bit more into that in a little bit. Uh, she has a website, she speaks. And so we're just so glad to have you here again, Shanda. So excited. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for asking me on again. Now I feel special because I'm only one of two that's been asked. I know, <laughs> I know. And the other two are like our best friends. So yes, you should feel special. It's awesome. <laughs> but okay, so I know you said it in the podcast prior, you know, whenever we talked to you first, but just can you give us like a little summary of how you kind of got started learning apologetics and then eventually teaching? Yes, yeah, so I'm blessed to have been raised in church. And I say blessed because I've always known biblical truths. My mom really made me a lover of God's word. And I never really questioned it like ever. I didn't, I was, and I still am to probably a fault, but if you tell me something about yourself, I'm going to believe it unless you prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so for the, me, the Bible was like, Oh, God exists. And the Bible is true enough said. And so I didn't ever question it until, and I wrote about it this week in a, in a blog post until someone said, how do you know what you believe is true? When I started mm -hmm. to realize I couldn't answer the questions for why I believed what I did, I realized the basis of my belief was not, was not structured on a foundation of the knowledge of truth for myself. I believe because my mom told me, yep. I believe because, you know, I, and it wasn't wrong to believe those things. I mean, obviously they were true, but how did I know they were true? And how could I explain that to somebody who was seeking truth? Mm -hmm. Um, I was raised in church would not be a sufficient answer to somebody seeking truth. The Bible tells me so would not be a sufficient answer to somebody who's not appealing to the authority of scripture. So I really had to go beyond what I was told and find out truth for myself and then build from there. So last year, when all this stuff happened with COVID, <clears throat> I think a lot of people started to see where they were being sort of, um, just status quo with their relationship with God. I had a lot of people kind of tell me, whoa, this is shaking my faith, not shaking my faith. It's shaken me awake yeah. to get stronger in my faith. And that's a great thing to hear. And it did for me on a flip side, it made me realize that we aren't strong enough as a church. We don't have our finger on the pulse of culture. We don't, why is only 6% of Christians 
why are they, why are only six, uh, 6% who claim to be Christian mm. have a biblical worldview. And so when we're looking at those statistics, they're sobering. And I feel like we need to have better answers. So I, I went the apologetics route because apologetics answers those hard questions. Mm. And as I went that route, I just continued to say, okay, this will be something I constantly study, which makes you an apologist. Every Christian should be an apologist. We see scriptures for that in the new Testament contending for the faith, being ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. So we see that now it may not be to the depth of somebody like Frank Turk or, you know, anybody else who's constantly going out and on college campuses and looking at the hostile, uh, atheist or agnostic, but every Christian should know what they believe, why they believe it and be able to defend that. And so that's, it just continued to let, lead me on and I love it. And I'm going deeper into it every day because I'm constantly learning about it. Mm. Wow. I love that. So, so all in all, Shana, if you step back and look at the definition, just for anybody that maybe doesn't actually know the full definition, what apologetics is, what would you say, like in layman's terms? (laughs) Well, apologia means to defend. So and that's apologia in the Greek means to defend. And so it doesn't mean to be sorry for anything. It doesn't mean to apologize. It means to defend your faith. And so we see a great example of this in Acts 17 when Paul was in Athens and he was able to uh, defend the God of the Bible. And so, I mean, that's the formal way of saying it, but Mm -hmm. Christians don't have to go out there and be like, let's be apologists today. It's just basically, I would say the best way to explain it is, you know, what you believe, you know, why you believe it. And you know, that based upon the, the evidence of God's world that coincides with the evidence of God's word. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, I was listening to your podcast a few weeks ago, whenever you had your sons come on and I know mm. I messaged you about it because I honestly, I, I even told Aubrey, cause I was like emotional. I was like, Oh my gosh, because it's, it's one thing to say that you need to teach your kids the word of God. They need to, you know, know their Bible stories. You know, you hear all these things, but actually teaching them to defend their faith and then hearing from your sons too what they have learned and in what situations they've had to use it already right. in school. It just made me like, I have chill bumps right now because it was just, it was so powerful. And, and then, um, you did a podcast, uh, I think two weeks after that about homeschooling and, um, public school, private school, kind of like, you know, biblical views, even on that, what you thought about that. And so it just ignited. I was like, we need to get Shanda on here and talk about how important it is to teach your kids apologetics because every day they're in one way or another, there's an apologetics kind of aspect that you need to have in your mm-hmm. life. And so Aubrey, you want to Yeah. And, and I, I think it's, it's also important because th- there's a lot of parents, I believe that, you know, they expect the public schools to teach their kids what they need mm-hmm. to know, you know, for life. And then they expect their church children's mm-hmm. pastors or whoever to teach their kids, everything that they need to know about the Bible. And so then they, they move on through life with these two other entities teaching their children what they think that their children need to know. But in fact, the Bible tells us that it's a parent's job, right? Mm-hmm. To, to train up a child in the way they should go. So when they get older, they will not depart mm-hmm. from it. And, and I think that it's especially not, you know, not picking on Americans, but kind of targeting Americans in this 
um, in this topic, it's kind of like, well, we kind of push those responsibilities off on public schools, private mm-hmm. schools in our church, when in fact, it's us that have to own that. Mm. Exactly. That's so good. So let's go back to a couple of things here. Yes. The Bible only speaks to parents. The Bible is only going to hold those parents accountable for the children that God has entrusted to them. So if you send your kids off to school saying, Oh, they're only going to teach you reading, writing and arithmetic. We don't live in that world anymore. Mm -hmm. That is, that is not what the public school is, is going to do. Um, take it from me. Who's a teacher, fifth grade teacher. I was in the classroom less than two years ago. So, um, and not that I taught my kids any of those things, but I heard about the ideologies coming down the pipeline and that were already, for example, my son in the fifth grade was in the same exact classroom that I taught in, um, at the same exact school I taught at just in December of this last year. And his teacher read to him based upon the, the content standard of theme, which every fifth grade teacher has to teach a theme. When you read a narrative, what's the theme of the narrative? Easy enough, right? Yeah. I taught on, you could teach on anything. You could teach on friendship, the theme of uh, family, name it, whatever. Mm -hmm. She taught on the theme of differences by using a transgender book of Julian wants to be a mermaid. So we both taught the content standard. Yeah, the standard of theme, how how to identify the theme in a passage. But we both taught it from a different angle. She taught it from her worldview. Mm-hmm. And I taught it from something that would apply to just, you know, generalized family, friendship, whatever it could be. So that's the public school for you. You don't mm-hmm. know what you're going to get. So you have to be diligent if your kids are in that public school to be in constant contact with the teacher and to have that open communication with your children. So that's one thing. Second thing is we, we think that if we send our kids to Sunday school, they're going to teach our kids about God. And that's, that's it. That's all Mm -hmm. that needs to take place or, you know, Wednesday night. And again, it's not the church's responsibility to raise our kids up to know God. It's the church's Mm -hmm. responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth and hopefully have teachers in place who are capable, but that's just not the case either. Um, We see the brokenness within the church all over the place. So what does it come down to? Diligent parenting, which is exactly what Deuteronomy tells us that we are to be diligent, no matter what situation, no matter when, no matter what we're doing. And I know we're going to talk about how to teach our kids apologetics, but we think of that. If we think of how do I teach my kids, we always think of formal training. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my lessons for my kids are usually in the car on the way to school Mm. Um, while we're, it's mostly in the car, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I can't, there's other times, but it's usually in the car driving them around. That is your best time. Don't, yeah. don't take it for granted. Yeah. We get tired. We don't want to drive to and fro, but those are the best conversations to have at the best times they're informal, but you're just communicating with your kid. So, uh, yeah, the, the first misconception is to place that responsibility on either the school or the church. And if we do that, prepare to live with the consequences because there's going to be consequences. And is your child's soul worth it to mm. you? Yeah, and that's what we yeah. have to look at. Is it worth it? Cause if it's not, then it's time to take that responsibility back. And mm. that's what God wants us to do anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's, that's a powerful statement because it's, you know, you, you each generation, 
that that is before the next, right? Every generation looks back at the one behind them and it's like, oh my gosh, kids these days. You know what I mean? And and I've heard that statement so many times. There's people hating on millennials or even, you know, the generation following and, and just all the comments that are being made and targeting certain generations. But that always leads me to the question, well, who's the one that raised us millennials that, that everyone likes to hate on so bad? You know, who's, who's the one that raised us up in the way that we were supposed to go? So when we got older, we wouldn't depart from it. Well, in, in, in the older generation's mindsets, we're so far departed from it, it's not even funny, but it's like somebody has to own the responsibility that right. you expected your local church to raise your kids for you. Well, I sent my kids to, you know, children's ministry every Sunday and youth ministry when they got in junior high. You know, they should have figured out something, but you're talking about one day a week. What is that? What is Compared that like to... four hours a week versus yeah. all the yeah. other days that you have <laughs> access as a parent and you have a Bible at home, I hope, you know what I mean? And, and just yeah. kind of going from there. But it, it, we kind of, I believe we have to get to a place where the buck stops with me. Mm-hmm. No, no longer getting to the to that mindset of man this this generation they're terrible you, instead of saying that i'm going to jump in and be like listen you might not even be my child but let me let me help raise you up let me help teach you some truth you know and uh, i don't know it, it's just kind of like that's the thing that always hits me when people are oh man kids these days you know i i can't stand that statement because we, we just keep pushing it off instead of taking ownership for these kids it's like well yeah, can't help them. You know, they're, they're, they're lost, you know? And, and that's why I think it's so important that, that every home step up in that, because Mm -hmm. I remember even, I mean, in the early two thousands being hit with so many questions about my faith. And the only thing that I could say is, well, you know, that's, that's what the pastor teaches about, or that's what my youth pastor preached about last Wednesday. Well, how do you know that's true? Well, I, I don't, I'm just taking their word for it. You know what I mean? And, and this world, we all know loves to do nothing more than to chew up Christians and spit them out. (laughs) It's sadly very easy, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. But that kind of goes into one of our questions you were going to ask you, Shanda, for these people that are on here and they might have millennials that are kids. So they're grown really. So they're like, what, what is it for my role as a parent of grown children? Like, what can I do now that maybe they just got Sunday school teaching every once yeah. in a while when they were younger? What, what can I do now? Well, there is a window of, of a greater influence with mm-hmm. parenting, right? So right now your influence with your child, he's so young is mm-hmm. very great. You're his world and the circle is very small. And yeah. with my boys, it's getting wider because they're getting older. And so the diligence it requires as they get older is, you know, you have to be more watchful. They have the phone access they have, they're going to school and hearing things at school. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once, once they're adults, I will never say it's a lost cause because I don't think that is while there's breath in our lungs, there's Mm -hmm. just not, but your angle in which to do that is going to be a lot different once they're adults, because I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when my mom and dad come into my house and want to tell me how to you know, raise my kids or what church I should go to. It's a little bit like, wait a second. Like you don't have enough faith that I'm, you know, or trust in me, you raise me like you were saying. Yeah. But so the, the angle and the strategy is going to be a lot different, but I would say as a parent, 
if you want your child to trust what you're talking about, know what you're talking about. Mm. And if, if you don't, if you're trying to say, well, maybe I can't teach them apologetics now. So what do I do? You learn apologetics and you speak that into their lives. Cause I guarantee you, mm. even if they were raised in church, they probably haven't heard the proof and the evidence of God and the logical reasoning that comes with it. Because we, we come into so many fallacies in the world, logical fallacies, bad reasoning, bad thinking to where they will, if they have that grounding of truth, they will hear it and you will be able to make a difference. It may be slow going because you don't see them every day. You're not mm -hmm. constantly in their lives, but I would say, let it begin with you learning and knowing how to answer these questions and then speaking that into your kids' lives when you get the chance. It's, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, that window of greater influence is may not be there, but you still have an influence. So you need to look for every window of opportunity now that they're adults, but be prepared. You got to be prepared. Yeah. So, okay. So that actually segues perfect into another question that we actually had for you was, um, what, what does a lesson in apologetics look like? And, and if you would, you know, Shannon, take it, take a time, you know, take the time to, to kind of teach right now, like, you know, go from, go from like toddler to, you know, like a little bit older to junior high, high school, even, even into adulthood, you know, if, if you want to, because our, the, the people that listen to our podcast, the, the range mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of ages, it, it's, you know, they can have small kids like we do, you know, a toddler. And th there's even some grandparents that, mm -hmm. that tune into this podcast. And so I think if we just give them a wide range, what does a lesson for I mean, And it doesn't have to be, you know, extensive or anything, but just, you know, kind of like yeah. an everyday situation where teaching apologetics to each age group could be beneficial. Okay. So first thing you have to remember as a teacher, because we're looking at this from the viewpoint of a teacher, right? Yeah. You can't teach what you don't know. Yeah. yeah. So you have to know, you have to know, and you can't just think that, you know, and get the information from, you know, we hear a lot of skewed scripture being talked about and thrown around, know what you're talking about, dive in and be a student of the word before you can become a teacher, be a student mm -hmm. of apologetics before you can become a teacher of apologetics. That's one thing. The second thing I would say is, is a practical term. Think of it as in stages that you would feed your children. If they're babies, they're getting milk. If they're toddlers, they're getting, you know, a little more solid food, but it's going to come less. It's not going to be coming in the form of a steak. And then as they get older, you're going to add more onto their plate, right? So think of it in those terms uh, as you're giving them these concepts. The thing about apologetics is, we are talking about the evidence for what we believe, not just with God's world, but uh, word, but with, with his world. So we talk about morality a lot. How can you determine morality and what is good unless you have first have a standard of good? So if they're little kids, you will talk about why God is good, why God is the standard of good. Kids take tests. They know that there's a standard that's going to everything that they are getting corrected by on that test is because it has to meet a certain standard. Mm. Use a practical term. We mm. don't know what if something's good or bad unless we're first aware of the standard of, of good that we're talking about measuring it up to. So you can use that. 
um, I'm a, I'm a teacher. So I try to break every concept down into its basic form and build from there. And so, you know, you're going to look at those and I, I'm going to be saying some things probably if you're not familiar with apologetics, I'm going to be saying something that you're going to be like, what is she talking about? But the arguments for God, like the, the moral argument, the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, which is the argument for design. Mm. Do you know the lessons you can teach your children about design just by looking at themselves in the mirror? Psalms 139, how God knit us and formed us together. But there are 122 constants in this world that if they were changed by one degree uh, to the, you know, off or, or on or whatever you want to call it, if they, if they, were, if they were changed by an infinitesimal uh, percentage, either way, one way or the other, life as we know it would cease to exist. Mm. We're talking about things like gravity and we're talking about things like uh, the, the moon in relation to the, the distance from the earth, the sun in relation to distance of the earth, those things that we don't think about, that's why they're called constants, mm. that if they were changed one bit, we wouldn't, we wouldn't exist, but we don't have to think about those things. That shows that creation and intelligent design, uh, is something that God has planned because he's a personal God. So before you lay the apologetics foundation, make sure you're laying the foundation of truth. I would say for a toddler, you know, when you're talking about Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. I mean, you can, you can, for a toddler or a young child, you can make these lessons continue to, to build on them for a very long mm. time because you can break those concepts down. But if you're talking to them about what is true and what is truth, that's a, both a moral lesson and it's also a lesson in logic where you can say truth grounds us in reality and God is truth. And that's how we know we can trust his word. So I know this is kind of, of broad because there's so many concepts within apologetics, but you can either get apologetics curriculum and follow that and once you get deeper into apologetics and know more about it, everything becomes an apologetics lesson. Mm. So for example, <laughs> practical conversations with your kids will be much appreciated more so than you sitting them down around the table. Now we do the down around the table thing. Mm -hmm. We do that, but I don't do it every day. That would burn them out and they would hate me for it. Um, I try to do it once a week, but that's yeah. not always practical either. Mm -hmm. But like I said, in the car, yes. So here's another <clears throat> example for your teenagers. If you're teaching them the laws of logic, which I know people are like laws of logic, you're going to lose me here because this is brain hurt stuff, but there's three basic laws of logic that everybody knows. They just don't realize that they know them. And one of them is the law of identity and the law of identity says, and God gave us all these laws of logic. So the law of identity says a is a. So if you take mm -hmm. that to practical terms, you would say biological evidence that proves male is male. Mm -hmm. It identifies a male. Well, now we're playing the pronoun game in school. So one of my boys went to school and he got asked to put down the, his preferred pronouns. Well, we don't play the pronoun game. We we're not going to put him, his blah, blah. We don't enter into non-reality mm -hmm. because if I was, if he does that, he's denying the laws of logic that says I'm already been identified as a male. So, you know, the pronouns that follow that. So that was a discussion that we had. Cause I, so he told me that this, and I said, what, what did you write down? He's like, I didn't write down anything. I said, you, you'll write down. If you write anything down, you'll write, I am a male, not call me, he, his, or him. 
but I am a male because the law of identity has already identified by biological evidence that I am mm-hmm. a male. Quick lesson in logic with a practical experience that he's going through. But what did I have to know? I had to know the laws of logic. Yeah. And so those are, and that talks about how God wants us to think. And it talks, you know, I did an episode this week about the mind and renewing the mind and transforming the mind and in regards to anxiety, but no matter what mind renewal and transformation is Romans 12 2, Philippians 4, 8. It tells us, you know, Bible tells us how to think. So that's our responsibility as parents to know and give that information to our kids and help them navigate those experiences. But apologetics helped him do it mm-hmm. with not only apologetics, but I brought him back to Genesis 1, 26 to 28 and God made them male and female, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And so that now we see how God's world and God's word coincides and connects. They are a link mm-hmm. and it, it makes that word of God stronger to them because we've laid that foundation of, of the truth of God's word, but we're also integrating apologetics into it because that's how we learn to navigate this world as Christians and defend our post, but defend our position. Um, and that's just a, a quick lesson. So hmm. I would say your lessons in apologetics should be daily. <laughs> you know, yeah. they should be informal. And then the formalities of it will be like, okay, what do I need to teach? And I would say for all of you saying, where do I begin? Begin with the worldview because with 6% of self-professed Christians claiming a biblical worldview, that is, we need more people, more Christians with a biblical worldview who, who are upholding truth. And a worldview just means the lens through which I see and evaluate the world and make my decisions off of. And so this would be a fun, the podcast episode about teaching my boys worldview. When you watch avatar, their Uh worldview is, uh, is, is pantheism because they believed everything was, had a soul and it went back into the earth. Mm -hmm. And so you can tell your kids, well, why are they saying this? It's not that you can't watch the movie, but make that, I was watching a movie with my boys the other day. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is universalism. They're like, can we just watch a movie without you giving us a lecture? (laughs) But I want them to know how do we identify where they're coming from Mm -hmm. and how do we place that? And so teach them a worldview. So that way they know where everything stems from. That's why critical race theory is a worldview. Why? Because they see everyone based upon color, based upon class, and they group them based upon the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, it's a worldview. So identifying worldview is huge. And I would say definitely start there and you don't have to always call it a worldview, but you can say, why, what is the underlying belief to make this person say this or to, uh, for this decision to have been made on, you know, if they're older, uh, a law being passed in, you know, Congress or mm. something like that. And so it's, it's constant. So my best bit of advice is know it so well, where you can identify it too, and bring that up mm. in conversation with your kids. Wow. Cause it all yeah. starts with being a student yourself, right? Yes. <laughs> to be yes. able to do that. Wow. That's, yeah. that's, that's so interesting. And so, yeah, that answered the question. What does a lesson in apologetics looks like? Well, it looks like everyday life. Whenever something comes yeah. up, whenever there's something to be taught. Yeah. And yeah. if you want to integrate this into your home and say, okay, how do we learn together? Because some people may be like, Hey, I want to learn this, but I want my kids to learn this too. So let's learn together. I had, um, it's probably in my, in my bedroom right now, but I have a curriculum. You can go onto mama bear apologetics website okay. and look at their resource list. They'll take you to certain curriculum and, um, it's okay. I don't, love it. 
Um, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, apologetics for tweens. I actually ordered it on, off of Amazon and it was at the fifth okay. grade level for my youngest, but it was, I could make it more in depth for my teenagers too. So we all did that together. It talked about truth, talked about the laws of logic. Um, you know, those things, if you're older and you want to get into it, read stealing from God, you can also get the curriculum off of, uh, the apologetics, uh, impactapologetics.com. They have a lot of resources. Uh, I will say that that is, is more academic and you'll want to strive with it and keep mm-hmm. at it. And then listen to podcasts that talk about apologetics. Uh, listen to, um, uh, Natasha Crane. She speaks specifically to parents about how to teach apologetics. And okay. so Natasha Crane, that's what it, her podcast is called, the Natasha Crane podcast. She's an wow. apologetics uh, woman in apologetics too. So those things are are going to be resourceful and helpful if you want to sit down once a week, but you will not regret it. You will not regret it. Your kids will be armed. They will literally, you, you are going to be putting on the true armor of God, the belt mm-hmm. of truth. And by the way, the belt of truth is the first thing that goes on, which is weird because when you think <laughs> about it, the very first thing I put on is not my belt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I need pants for it to go that through the loop. things difficult. <laughs> exactly. But in first for the first century Rome, the, the military, um, the, the, the people in the, the, um, I don't know the army, whatever they were, they weren't uh-huh. their army because that's us, but, yeah. uh, who were, were in the soldiers in, in Rome, they put on the belt and the belt held all the weapons. Wow. And then the breastplate was strapped into the belt. So what am I saying? You need to arm your kids mm-hmm. with the truth. Yep. That is one of the first things that connects everything that we do in our Christian walk and our relationship with God. Mm. Wow. That's, that's so good because it it was just so amazing to hear whenever your sons were talking like legit fit, like the pronoun thing you're talking about. He didn't talk about that. Um, your middle son, but he was talking about another situation and he was even talking about whenever, cause this was virtual, right? So he was talking to his teacher over. So all of the students were listening too, and she would say something and he would come back with this truth. And he's like, you know, I, I, think that it's awesome that I had this conversation with my teacher because there were other students in the class that were listening. They were listening to truth versus world, you know, like the wrong worldview sort of thing. And so even if we train our children up in the way that they should go, it will impact other kids that grow alongside them and see them stepping up in truth. Right. Because like one of the probably kids growing up, their favorite statement is, I don't know, I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we need you to know, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> through, through everything. And it was just, I just love that. This is so, so, so important. I said, whenever, whenever eternity's on the table, the, the phrase, I don't know, is not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, like you, you don't, you don't just get to go and stand before the Lord one day and just be like, well, how'd you get here? I, I don't know. Can, can I come in? You know what I mean? Like it, it just, it doesn't work that way. And a lot of times I feel like people, people have this delusion in their mind that, you know, you, you keep your kids involved in church and you, you go up through there and maybe while they're in junior high, high school, maybe you grow up in a small town where, you know, everybody's Christian. Let me, let me put quotes on that. It's like, you know, cause yeah. maybe that maybe we're not teaching, you know, critical race theory at our high school or anything like that, but you better believe once that young person goes to college or gets out from under that, protection that that you know that they've been raised in they're going to be bombarded with that stuff and they're going to need to know at that time 
And by the time you're 18, 19, 20 years old, I think that's why many young people leave the church because they're they're bombarded with all these these outside worldviews is what you you were calling them earlier. And they're just like, well, this doesn't line up with what I was always told in youth group and in children's ministry. And mm-hmm. maybe I've been lied to my whole life. Exactly. Even, it reminds me, Shane, I don't know if you've heard of this because I just saw the article yesterday. A friend sent me, but David Archuleta from American Idol from years and years ago, he came out as gay the other day and said that God told him to, because he trusted him with his feeling. Like it was some of the most like insane stuff. And it's like, it, it makes me sad for him because he, he truly believes that he wasn't, you know, growing up in that truth, most likely because he's being led by his feelings and he hears God tell him, yeah, trust your feelings. I trust you with your feelings. It's like, oh my gosh. Well, there's only four reasons or four categories in which people believe what they do. So you have the, for me, sociological reasons was the reason I believed in Mm -hmm. God, because I, my mom told me she was a huge Mm -hmm. influence on my life. So you have culture, you have society, you have friends who impact and influence your beliefs. So if you're only believing in something because of a sociological reason, it's not grounded in truth, no matter if it's true or not. Mm -hmm. And then the other reason is psychological. If it's, Mm -hmm. if it brings you peace, if it has anything to do with your identity, if it feels good, then you're going to believe and latch onto that because it, it's bringing you some sort of comfort. Mm -hmm. And then the third reason are religious reasons. A lot of times atheists will say, well, you're only a Christian because you were born in America. Even if that is true, does it make Christianity any more or less true? Mm. It doesn't. Uh, You can look in the Middle Eastern region. They all, there's mostly Muslims there. Why? Because that's the religion of the region. So people will believe just because they were born into it. None of those are good reasons. And none of those are the reasons that will keep anyone staying in what they believe. So if I believe because of sociological reasons, who's to say that some other social influence wouldn't come along and knock that belief out of the way. And I would latch onto what they're telling me is true just because they have a more powerful influence over the other person who is more influential. That's why the philosophical reason has to be the reason someone believes in what they do. It's evidential, it's coherent, it, mm. it's, it's something that is, that is, uh, we can test and we can observe and we can look mm. at, and we can say, we can, we can reason and, and use logic to say, this is a valid conclusion. This is a reason to believe has nothing to do with emotion, has nothing to do with is somebody else who influenced me or their opinion. Doesn't matter if it's approved by society or not. The evidence shows that when I look around and I see intelligent design and I realize what scientists have actually discovered about the earth, I can conclude there must be an intelligent designer. And that is worth finding out about because we all, some people might say, what does it matter? What is true to you? What does it matter? What you believe? Well, it does matter. We see that on 9-11, 2001, those men who flew planes into the world trade center believed what, what they believed was true. Mm -hmm. And they were passionate about it, passionate enough to die for it. And, you know, Hitler thought what he believed was true when he killed 6 million Jews. So what we believe matters because we make our decisions and we're, we're guided by those things in life. So Mm. does it matter that we evaluate what we believe? That's, that's the real question. Why do we believe in God? Because here's the thing parents don't realize either. You're not going to just be asked by an atheist. How do you know God exists? You're not Mm going to just be asked by some Joe Schmo in the supermarket 
uh, why did, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? Your kids are going to say, why do we believe this Bible again? Because everyone's telling me that it's an ancient book. And how do we know it's really inspired by God? Well, if you only know, because the Bible tells me, so you've just yeah. lost your kid, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's true. You know, you've lost your kid because there is reliable evidence and, uh, historical reliability for the word of God that would blow people away. And it's not being taught in church. People don't know why we read it. They don't know why the pastor's preaching from it. And they don't know why it's the in infallible, inerrant, God-inspired yeah. word. And we mm. need to know, we need to know why. It goes deeper than just the Bible tells me so. Um, and that can resonate within us. And we can know that that's true, but that won't convince the person who's wrestling with that doubt or wrestling with mm. that. And we wow. need to be ready to tell them why. Wow. wow. Do you have anything? I was going to say something. Wow. No, go ahead. Okay. You're just yeah. sitting in it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll let you sit. Um, I thought about, uh, yet again, going back to the podcast with your sons, thinking about that. Um, your youngest, that's 11. He was kind of joking. He's like, oh yeah, there's some lessons. I'm like, woo, right over the head. Right. Yes. But then, you know, you go more in depth with them and, and all that, which is so amazing. And also the fact that he even like quoted a creed. Yeah. Uh, and I want you to say that creed because it was just like hearing, hearing his voice as 11 year old, like speaking out this, I was like, oh, like it totally like rocked my world. Like right whenever Gray will start talking and like being able to memorize, like he's going to learn that because, you know, those things might be going over, over his head every once in a while at the age that he's at, but he memorized that creed and it's powerful yeah. too. Yeah. So giving credit to that, where that creed came from, that's Vody Bauckham. So when I first got into apologetics, um, Bodhi Bauckham taught this to his students because when they left to go to college, they would always be, you know, the professor's Lager Bible, but at the side, we don't believe in that. And he said, you will be challenged. And if you don't know how to answer, you're going to get crushed. And so the creed is, I believe the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They uh, report supernatural events in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. Mm -hmm. So he got an email back from one of his students that said, it happened, all, you know, all caps, exclamation point. And his science or biology professor was basically saying, evolution is the way, check your Bibles at the door. It's all mm. foolishness. And he said, wait, wait. And he raised it. He goes, I felt my hand go up before I could even think about it. Right. And so his professor's like, yeah, what do you want to say? He's like, the Bible is so much more than that. We can't just dismiss it. And he's like, basically I've heard this before and I'm about to crush my next Christian student. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, tell me why. And he said the creed and the professor said, I'll have to think about that. And that was, he stumped the professor just wow. by being able wow. to say a reliable collection of historical yes. documents, because it's not one book, it's 66 yep. books. Mm -hmm. And we don't think of it that way, written over 1500 years. And so when you're looking and how many authors, I think there's, oh gosh, don't quote me on this, but I, I want to say like 30 something, I don't remember. <laughs> but when you're looking at that's 27 in the New Testament alone, mm -hmm. and they were eyewitnesses or close 
uh, companions of eyewitnesses. These aren't just Joe Schmoes who decided yep. to write something, you know? And so I taught my boys that creed. And I said, this is why we believe the Bible. Now let's go to the Bible and say where this is true. We go to Peter and we see where Peter says, Hey, we do not follow these, uh, divine or these, these fables, but we actually walked with Jesus and we didn't believe in these fairy tales. And, and we, mm -hmm. we, uh, we, we believe that the Bible is inspired by God, God breathed. And so the boys now know, you know, what the Bible says There's so much, there's more to it even than that. But yeah, so Brody, anybody can memorize a creed, right? Mm -hmm. And so you want them to memorize those things like why as he says it, you know, sometimes I'll be like, why do you believe the Bible? And he'll have to say it again. And, um, yeah. but, but one day when he's literally wrestling, why do we believe the Bible? He can go back. Wait, it's a reliable collection of historical mm. documents. Wow. Yes. And, and these men did report supernatural events, but they're in fulfillment of specific prophecies written in the old Testament. And mm. so it's going to come together, but it's my job to lay that foundation. And that's uh -huh. a simple, another simple lesson you can do with the Bible right there. Take that creed, attach it to that verse. I believe it's second Peter chapter one, mm -hmm. um, 16 to 21. And then you, you just armed your kids with something to be able to at least have in their, in their, on their belt of truth when they sit in that professor's classroom. And their Bible is being told, you're being told that your Bible is worth nothing. Mm -hmm. And you can say, wait a second, that's not true. And, wow. um, you know, that's what wow. it's very important. And that's not yeah. even at the college level anymore. It's at high school level too. So, oh yeah. It, yeah. And, um, you know, there, there's been an argument a lot talking about how the Bible contradicts itself. Right. And so you wouldn't be able to defend that if you haven't been in the word, if you haven't been yeah. studying the Bible in its proper context. Right. Because right. if a layman, if you're just like reading this scripture, you're, this scripture, yeah, it looks like it doesn't, it does contradict what the heck. And then all right. of a sudden there's that kind of breaking down of maybe I shouldn't believe this. And mm -hmm. it's, it's because, you know, it's just, there's yeah. so many different layers and aspects of this that it's just, Oh man. Yes. And there's answers. There are yes. answers for these things and the answers make sense. And yeah. we, we should be talking about them in the church. The churches should have an apologetics, uh, branch, yes. at, you know, and, and say, okay, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about why we can trust this historical document or these historical documents and why it was put together and why it's part of the canon. Like they weren't just willing chosen willy nilly and stuck together. There's, there's yep. a purpose, you know? Yeah. And, um, I don't know why the churches just aren't arming their members to be able to have these conversations outside of the, the church. Wow. Oh, oh my gosh. It's so true. That is the question. That is the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, well, listen, we're, we're at, we're at that time. Sadly, sadly. sadly <laughs> um, I mean, we, you know, we can keep going obviously, but, uh, but you know, we probably should shut it down this time, but again, Thank you so much for joining yes. us for the second time. This is awesome. It's always it's always a good time. Always a, always a pleasure for sure. But we're we're gonna put all your information again yes. in the show notes of this podcast. So if you're listening to this, we're gonna put all that stuff in there, and Jordan will post back to that the podcast of with with you and your boys, yeah. so other other parents can tune into that and just and really check it out. But go go follow um, her page and and everything that we'll have in the show notes and because um, you're you're not going to be sorry that you did. It's always good, not. good relevant <laughs> stuff. 
But thank you so much for joining us again yes. today. Um, it, it was it was a great time. It was awesome. And so we'll yeah. see you guys next week. Thank you so much, Shanda, again. It was so great. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye.